all, and welcome back to Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. This is a collaboration with the Arts Council of Greater New Haven, and I'm your host, Lucy Gelman. Today, we are here to talk about Angels in America, part one, which is coming to Madison Lyric Stage. June 9th is the premiere, right? The first performance, correct? Correct. So that's like tomorrow, basically. And, Don't um, say that to the actors. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. It's it's a long way away. It's a long. We have so much time. Yes, it's like five months from now. I'm sorry. That. Um, and it's in in my mind. It's closer, but we won't talk about that. And it's it's part one. Millennium approaches. We can talk about the decision not to have. Uh, what is it? An eight or nine hour uh, show? Had you done parts one and two? But um, but. Mark Deaton, uh, artistic director at Madison Lyric Stage. I want to toss it to you because some fo- some folks are are intimately familiar with Angels in America by Tony Kushner, and um, for better or worse, I think part of that is owing to the fact that there was an HBO special several years ago as well. Um, so some folks have never seen it brought to life on a stage, but they have seen it on their screens. And then some folks have never heard of the show in their lives. And so I'm wondering if you can give our listenership, which is very, very general, a sense of what this show is about. And then also, you know, why there is an urgency in in bringing this story to life at Madison Lyric Stage. Well, that's a very good and complex question. So I'm going to take it apart as best I can. First of all, it's it's a pleasure to be here and and to meet with you. Um, uh, Angels in America by Tony Kushner is a play that I have always felt a great affinity for and understanding of. Uh, it was written in the um, early mil- middle 90s and it really took New York and the country by storm. It won a Pulitzer, won several Tony Awards, but it, it speaks of several communities that are very near and dear to my heart. Um, also, the age of the character, the main characters um, in the play, uh, at, in, it's, it's set in 1985, uh, and those characters are in their 20s. I was in my 20s in 1985, so I, I relate to those characters in a very specific way. Also, being a, a gay man, the, the play deals with uh, the AIDS crisis, and also, I think, the whole kind of... Uh, social anthropology of gay men moving to cities like New York City and discovering their own sense of family and uh, interrelationships, their own society, if you will, because of, in many cases at, at that time, having to leave their families and, and communities behind because they simply weren't accepted as members of those communities. So it speaks to me on, on several levels. It also deals with a number of marginalized groups, not just the LGBTQ community, but the Mormon community, um, uh, the Jewish community, both the the fundamental differences between the reform movement and the orthodox movement that was was becoming very apparent apparent through assimilation by the 80s. Um, And it deals with so many different levels of community and society that it's uh, really um, a great challenge and of interest for any director. When you add to that the absolutely brilliant writing, um, it's it's so musical. It's but it's not a musical. But um, the the writing is so musical and so so beautifully 
punctuated. What's one of the things that I keep talking about with the actors? Look at the punctuation he writes. And if you will follow it exactly, you won't even have to act. It, 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 it's all right there. And you rarely have that in a work. Um, and so that's always, I've always wanted to direct this, uh, this piece. The entire piece, and Tony Kushner does consider them one piece. Um, that, so for those who don't know, it's um, separated into two parts. Part one is Millennium Approaches, which we're performing starting June 9th. And then the second part is called Perestroika. And uh, it's oftentimes performed separately, and they can be. They're, they're, they're quite mutually exclusive if need be, but they also work together quite beautifully as a whole part. Our hope is if, if attendance is good and it's well-received that we'll be able to add Perestroika next year, and then we'll be able to do them together because my background is actually as an opera singer and I sang a lot of Wagner, and so I'm used to these long cycles. So I'm drawn to that because of that reason. Um, and so I'm, I'm very excited. Yes, it, it is long, but it, it's amazing how fast it goes in an evening because it's so mm, relatable. The characters are very real. You had mentioned the HBO series, which I personally love. Um, I, I, I think that it's just brilliantly done by Mike Nichols and by a, a cast of people that are well, they're the greatest actors of, of that generation. And um, what's beautiful about that series is that he made it a movie. He, he changed a lot of things. Tony Kushner wrote the screenplay. Most of the dialogue is the same, but the situations are much more realistic um, and rather epic and cinematic. Um, and I think that suits the piece. The stage version is much more abstract. And in fact, Tony Kushner asks that you, the quote he uses is that you see the wires so that anything that would create how it works or how it functions, that you see that. All of the actors will move the different properties and set pieces in and out. And not because we don't have um, people to do that, but because he wants to see that side of the actor, not just as the character, but as the actor, which goes back to the kind of whole Brecht alienation syndrome, which now I'm getting very, very nerdy. Um, so that's why I was very drawn to the piece and why I think most people will be drawn to the piece if if they will come and take a look at it. And, and I will also say, and, and John, feel free to hop in here, this is the, if I'm not mistaken, the 30th anniversary of when it was first performed on Broadway. That's right. And yes. John is ED at Madison Lyric Stage and also is, is someone who's in this show, correct? Um, I, I would love to hear from you ab about the choice, really from you and, and from you, Mark, about bringing it to the stage. And I saw the I think it was in 2019 that it was back on Broadway. Is that correct? The revival, yes. The revival. And um, one of the things that struck me was some plays really age very poorly. And I don't think this is one of them. No. And, and there are also, there were also huge questions and a lot of like sadness that I felt, but what is, what does it mean that this hasn't specifically aged poorly? And so wondering if both of you can talk about what it, what it means to bring it to the stage um, in this 30th anniversary, you know, honoring the 30th anniversary of, of this work. 
So I guess I would agree with some of the things that you're saying, you know, that we're 30 years on, yet many of the themes of the play are so striking right now. And when you think that, you know, this was first on Broadway in 1993, right? So that means that Kushner was writing it during the, the 80s, you know, the time of Ronald Reagan, you know, the move to a more conservative time in America. And I feel like 30 years on, we're in a similar situation, you know, in the United States. And we are, well, I mean, there are forces on both sides, and I won't get overly political, but there is certainly a push to make us more of a conservative, religiously oriented society. And that means that there are groups of people that are left out, you know, and the people that Kushner is talking about, um, the gay population, Jewish, Black, right? These are people who, when the time was written during the 80s, were being marginalized. And I think you see a very similar movement right now. Um, you know, and the character that I play, Roy Cohn, you can see Roy Cohn types. I won't name anybody right now, but in the current political scene, and it's, it's um, you know, they say that history does not repeat itself, but history rhymes, you know, and I think that you can see some similarities between the 80s and where we are right now. And and I do wonder, was that also part of the artistic decision to bring the, you know, we are we are living in this time, as you said, where there are states that uh, young people can no longer seek out gender affirming care uh, without like like people are literally trying to legislate children out of existence. And I, I just want to name that. Um, and gay people out of existence, drag queens out of existence. Yes, yeah, that's right. And and so was that also part of the 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 process? Were there conversations around you know this because I I don't want to call this like an overtly political work because that that just feels too reductive for Tony Kushner. Like this is a the, Mark. I think you're right that this is such a work of poetry as well and and such a sort of musical work without being a musical. I love that. Um, but were there? Well, I think that. Well, I think that that there. It is a somewhat political work, and I think Tony Kushner would say that and has said that in interviews. You know, he was putting, he's very strong in his beliefs and what he thinks is right, and, and he puts a lot of that into this, into this work. But one of the things that, that, that drove us to consider producing it now is it seems a right time, because if you look at the reference points, especially the political reference points, you could, by changing a couple of names, a little etch a sketch, it could be exactly the same, and that's very sad on a lot of levels. Now, having said that, in some ways things have changed and have really matured. Look at how we came through uh, the recent pandemic versus the early days of the AIDS epidemic. It was vastly different, but it also affected different communities. And so that shows a, still a very solid flaw in our, um, in our society. Um, 
we are a company and I go through this with my board quite often. And occasionally when people will say like, couldn't you just do a comedy? And having said that, there are many very, very funny moments in this work. It's not all serious and dark. A lot of it's really very funny because life is funny. And if you, if you can't look at it from a comedic perspective, then it can be quite dull. Um, But when I'm asked about our choice of repertory, like why are we doing Angels in America? Why are why do we do? I mean, I'm going to be singing Pierre Lunaire at the end of the month. You know, part of it is our our personal preferences, works that excite us and make us want to do this work because it's not easy. And part of it is a I have a need for people to see these works for them to stay in the repertoire, to be aware of these works. You know, entertainments are very important. Light entertainment is very important, and we all have specific tastes about those entertainments. But there has to be room for what I call art, what I I see as being things that are masterpieces for a reason. And I think that it's, it's difficult we're also a company that produces several genres. Most people would not be so insane to do so. Um, but it's because I think all of those forms speak to an audience and should be performed so that an audience can be aware of them and learn from them and be entertained by them. Yes, and I, I will say, I'm so glad you also named that there is joy in this piece. There is humor in this piece. To, to me, there's this wonderful, and I don't know if it was planned at all, but this wonderful synergy, because uh, at the same time that this show is beginning, Fuse Theater is winding down its performance of Falsettos, which is also a work that talks about the AIDS crisis, but it's not a sad work. You know, people said, I, I was going to cover a rehearsal for it the other night, and people were like, oh, I'm so sorry. It was as if someone in my family had like died. Like, oh, I'm so sorry you have to go cover this. And I was like, why? It's hilarious. It's you know, I'm a neurotic Jew. Uh, the show is about neurotic Jews. And uh, it's it's a funny show that also has heaviness. And I think that there is um, there is this quality in good theater where art imitates life. And you absolutely- All you have to do is look to Shakespeare, you know, look yeah. to Shakespeare. And, and if it's not funny, it's a long evening. And even the biggest tragedy- <laughs> Are, are that much more tragic and interesting because being funny is human. And I think that if you keep everything at one level, um, yeah. and I don't want to dominate here, I want you all to jump in now soon. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm familiar with falsettos. It's actually been on a short list for quite some time to do, you know, and um, there are several versions of it. And I, 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 that piece without its humor, I, I don't know, how we would manage it. Um, it was also written at a similar time, and I think it has some similar messages. It's also about dealing with AIDS and dealing with a lot of these um, social anthropology ideologies. Um, the neurotic Jewish person in New York in the nineties—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a thing. So, you know, um, yeah. So I—I I, I think that uh, those works call out to us as a company mm-hmm. as do yes. a lot more historical pieces from different times and that need to remain in um it can't all be disney 
There's plenty of room for Disney and I love Disney, but yeah, there it is. So someone yeah. talk. <laughs> I'd love to jump say, in. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to. I, I want to just remind folks really quickly, if you're just joining us, this is Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. And yeah, and Patty and Logan, I would love to bring you in. So both of you are in this work. And Patty, since you said you were going to hop in, please hop in. Sure. Yeah. Um, first of all, delighted to be here. Um, Angels in America, people, it's its not, you know, Oklahoma. <laughs> it's not something that you hear is going to, you know, go up a lot. And in terms of, of the conversation that we've been having so far, um, well, for, I, I'm just so proud to be in it, to be in this amazing piece. And 1993 to now, it remains fresh and prevalent and wonderful because it's brilliantly written. And I think it it realistically captures that moment in time. And it wasn't, it, it, it you know, there were are awful things about it. And this brings me to what you had mentioned about young people. I think I would take even a further step back from your question and, and say that it's a reminder to all young people, all people of the younger generation that this happened because the AIDS epidemic is in the general population kind of a forgotten plague because now you can just sort of shrug your shoulders and say, well, it, it you can control it. You know, if you can get the medication, if you have the, the the resources and the support and all that, but it was craziness in 1985, and people were terrified. And I know that Mark had mentioned that you know he was out there working. I was out there working as a young actress in all sorts of regional and dinner theater summer stock, and people were getting sick, and no one knew what was going on. And this was when people were afraid of being, of being in the same room as someone that was gay, let alone, you know, helping them get through, you know, this awful sickness that, that so many were encountering. And, you know, I think Angels in America, not only is a brilliant, brilliantly written theatrical piece, but it will be looked at as a benchmark in a way to look at a benchmark in history uh, because the characters that are created in this piece are 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 so rich and multi-layered and and they're you know they're some are likable Roy Cohn is not likable <laughs> but he was a real person who was an awful awful man and he, I, I believe, it, in my opinion, he's just so honestly written. And I think that's part of the appeal is it's why he won the Pulitzer. It's because he wrote these great characters and he structured this amazing story that is all woven around a, an awful time in, in New York, in, in, in history. But also a very productive and creative and beautiful time in New York. I just wanted You're to right. say like so many wonderful, beautiful things came out of that. And I know just from my own perspective, it's it when I look back at that time, yes, I can 
I can open up that file and think of the friends I lost and the colleagues I lost and the fear and the loathing and all of that. Seeing, you know, 25 to 40 year old men walking with canes. But there was also a tremendous exploration and development as a society for for those marginalized groups at that time that I think we still see the response of now, the organizations that were created. We basically have the LGBTQ plus world based on what this play is about. I agree, Mark. And I think that um, the AIDS epidemic was something that really further made the entertainment community come together the the, the, the theatrical communities artistic communities the the yeah the artistic communities come together uh in a, a very beautiful way yeah i mean act act up was led by artists like over, yeah. overwhelmingly right and and i think that's also because um in the media i i was not uh, alive during the the early 1980s so i was not writing any of these articles, but I think it was 1983 that the New York Times first mentioned AIDS by its name. Before that, they had been calling it a rare cancer seen among homosexuals, their, you know, their specific wording. Um, And I think because of that, Patty, the stigma that you are talking about. So you've, you've got respected sources of mainstream media that are like actively contributing to to stigmatizing folks who are already coming from marginalized backgrounds. And, and unfortunately, and, and this is maybe a different show. I think we still see that in a lot of. Absolutely. It's nothing new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And even like, yes, I could go on a whole tirade about how the New York times writes about puberty blockers, but that's a different show. Um, Logan, I want to bring you in because you have intimate familiarity with the show you play Prior Walter. And I'm wondering if if for folks who don't know the show, you can talk a little bit about the character. Um, and also, you know, who is Prior to you? Talk about embodying this character now on what will be the second stage to play this role. So Prior Walter is a man that is 30 years old who is um, diagnosed with AIDS. And he kind of has his own family, not like immediate family. He has his boyfriend, he has his friends, but like all the circumstances of this piece are kind of going against him. But I also think it talks to the power of the queer community because in this show, he still seems like the light moving forward. Like I am so blessed that I get to play this role that is filled with comedy, that is like, heart eyes it's just a beautiful role that makes you inspired that there is hope and i mean the aids crisis i was not alive during it but like you still see these moments in history like the monkeypox outbreak last year there was a mm-hmm. huge outbreak in the queer community and in new york every single person that was gay queer part of the lgbtq community was terrified because it was all of your friends that are getting this are in laid up in bed and no one knows what's happening. But meanwhile, like I would call home and people are like, I've never heard of something like that. And in the sense of that, that did not get widespread attention because it was only affecting people in this community. 
And I think this play brings that awareness to the fact that when something is going on in this community, this community fights, but other communities don't have the news broadcasted to them to be aware of it, but also because it doesn't directly affect them, they're not necessarily engaged. I think that's true. And I, I was going to say, you look so young. Um, <laughs> do you remember the first the first time that you read Angels or that you became familiar with Angels? So I read Angels the my freshman year of college and I immediately was drawn to the role of Pryor. I, I think as a person, I'm someone who tries to find hope in any situation. I like to believe that you never know what someone's going through. And I feel like Pryor, because of like this uh, very like carefree persona that he has, you don't necessarily, like he doesn't want him dying of AIDS to be the first thing that people think of. And I think throughout this play, because of his persona, his energy and his interactions with people, even though you watch the suffering progress, it's almost on a back burner until it can't be anymore. And yeah. I'd also love to know, like, how how have rehearsals been going? Mark, you said when we were still off mic, you said that it was like, boom, folks were just like in it. They were, you know, I, I feel, uh, I think what I said is that I keep saying this to the cast every day that they're so amazing and they're doing all this stuff. And I, I think that they think I'm just trying to keep them up, but um, it has really amazed me when we thought, when we planned this work, John and I sat down and do you think we can manage this? It's, it's a very big work and a difficult work and it's not a huge cast, but it's not a musical where they're all in the chorus. It's, every person has to be truly an experienced professional and and most of the characters are playing more most of the actors are playing more than one character so you have to see their ability to shift to this really radically different character that Kushner asks of them specifically and so i i was i was nervous about can we manage this but we've managed in the past and so we gave it a go and you know, once we had the cast in line, then we were going to look at the fact that we don't rehearse for a terribly long period. It's it's just a little bit less than a month. And um, we we don't rehearse like 12 hours a day as some, some professional theaters do. But we, from day one, it was very apparent that the cast knew what they were doing and we're going to be able to hit that mark, whatever that mark is. I'm still looking toward it, but um, it, with only a little bit more than a week on on the work, we're we're well on our way. And I I just think it's going to be one of our our best works. And it's, I mean, I love that everyone kind of follows what vision I set. It's 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 like having a wonderful toy to play with. It really really is, and I don't have to do any of the hard work because they're doing it all and it's it's really quite impressive oh sorry i muted myself um so so patty and logan i do want to ask you this this question too but john i, I want to ask you like how specifically how is playing roy I, like it's it's like playing miss hannigan or cruella de vil <laughs> kind of like same accent huh? mm. 
it's you know it's it's interesting it's interesting hearing logan saying that when he first read angels new angels that he wanted to play prior and mm. you know i think the prior is very much as logan said kind of the white light he's very pure you know he's very much the essence of the forward looking nature of the play you know but i always was interested in roy you know and we can say like despicable monster deplorable and i'm not going to sit here and defend roy cohn because i think that he was all of those things but um we watched a documentary uh recently on hbo it's called bully coward victim uh the story of roy cohn and it actually gave me more insight into him and it was this weird dichotomy right i mean he was pretty much single-handedly is perhaps an overstatement, but very much responsible for the death of Ethel Rosenberg. And he even talks about in the play that when he looks back on his life, his proudest moment is that she didn't get life, that she got the chair and that he was responsible for that. You know, and the documentary also talks about very early in his career. And I mean, this has um, essences of what's happening right now is he and another gentleman were sent to U.S. embassies around the world to check out their books and take out, do away with any books that were they deemed inappropriate. But then at the same time that they're banning books, removing books, there are all these stories like, oh, my God, in the hotels where these two men stayed at night, they'd be running up and down the hallway all night in towels, screaming, carrying on. So he did have this other quality as well. And some of the people that are interviewed in the documentary, Cindy Adams is one of them, like so such strong feelings for him and how, you know, they were friends and she considered him a friend. And if he called her up and he wanted a story in the post that was negative against one of his enemies, she would print it. If he wanted a story in the post that he was dating Barbara Walters, she would do it. And they were asked her like, well, why would, because he was my friend. So he also had this kind of larger than life magnetic quality about him. And, you know, I think that, I mean, ultimately, um, I'm not giving away things, he died of AIDS. And he never admitted, never, that he was a homosexual. And there are interviews with him on like late night TV that you could watch where they ask him outright, like, do you have AIDS? Are you? No, no, no. But he was. So, I mean, he was a seriously repressed person as well. Having said that, at that time, that was not at all unusual. I mean, look at Rock Hudson, countless others. They They didn't feel that they could because there was... You simply couldn't be gay at that time and be a public figure. I mean, but I think it, I think that it warped him. I think that it totally screwed him up and made him into the creature that mm-hmm. he ultimately became. Yeah, I mean, I I think there is something to say about you know the aphorism like hurt people hurt people. Yeah, uh, yeah. but on steroids maybe yeah. with Roy. Um, and and I also I mean I, I wonder is it also so out of your, I don't want to say out of your comfort zone, but like so far from who you are as a person, because you're a very lovely human. (laughs) 
It is, but you know, I grew up, I mean, I grew up in Queens. Roy was from Queens. I grew up around people, you know, like this. Um, you know, I started working, um, you know, in offices and stuff in the 90s. I knew plenty of people who, I mean, weren't doing the, you know, atrocious things that he was doing, but who who were bullies in the workplace, you know? So I feel like I have examples. I feel like I... I I can picture this person. I I I know who this person is. And in the sense of history rhyming, I mean, one we it, that may be more pronounced now. I don't know. I think um, like the grinding machinations of capitalism are are very very real, and the divide between those who have resources and those who do not in this country is is a very real thing. And then, Mark, you know, very quickly to your point as well, I think. Well, there is, thankfully, I would I would say less stigma now. And while AIDS, thank God, is is no longer a death sentence, um, at least in New Haven, we've also seen hugely high rates of HIV and HIV transmission. This is something um, Chris Cole at A Place to Nourish Your Health, formerly AIDS Project New Haven, talks about um, quite quite a fair amount. And and again among a lot of folks that APNH is talking to, um, there is sort of complete like, no, 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 or don't associate me with that. So, so I think we still see it. Um, Logan and Patty, oh, go ahead. Sorry, nope. did I cut you nope. off? <laughs> I, was, I, just said, I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so Logan and Patty, I also wanna ask you about the rehearsal process. And then I wanna talk to y'all about self-care because Yes, this is a show that is funny and joyful and also heavy. But but first, Logan and Patty, I'd love to hear from you. You know, how has it been to step on the stage, to step into this work? Good. I mean, Good. <laughs> I mean for me, it's it's been like wonderful. And also when I did it before, I played the role completely different than I'm playing it now, which is very interesting um, and is kind of, what drew me to do it again. And something that Mark told me that really brought me in this direction is hearing Pryor described as the gay men, the gay man that when someone moves to the city, that's who they want to be. And, you know, I feel like as I'm playing this role, a lot more of myself is coming into this role than it was last time. And I think it's because I am the person that I have wanted wanted to be when I came to New York. And Pryor is just like so sure of himself. And that energy, I don't know, it just inspires you. And being with this incredible cast and working with all of these people, it's just like from the moment that we were on stage, I was like, wow, this is further ahead than I would ever expect it to be. And we did our first run after the first week of rehearsals. And it's just, it's been an incredible experience so far. I can only imagine what it will be when we get to opening night. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's been remarkable watching each other. And, you know, I have to, I have to congratulate Mark. Mark, you have this way of really putting amazing groups of people together. And this is really well cast. And um, for me, um, rehearsals have been going great. I have to play four different roles. And um, I have to play a Jewish rabbi, a doctor, a mom, 
and Ethel Rosenblum. So um, it's varied. And um, personally, I love the character work. And I find that it's a, a little bit more of a, 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 a dig into your soul sort of thing when you play when I have to play characters that are a little um, maybe closer to who I might be. And because you feel a little more vulnerable, you feel like you're revealing a little bit more than, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm revealing anything when I'm playing the Jewish rabbi. <laughs> but when I'm playing the mom, um, uh, the, the Hannah. Um, but again, there's, from an act actress's point of view, and from, I think, for any of the characters in this, it's not, it's a very varied challenge because every character has long monologues. It, it's an interesting structure in this play because there are monologues and there are scenes and there, and it, and it, there are split scenes and it bumps back and forth. And so I have already realized that as an actress, this is, this particular piece is going to require a different sort of focus for me to start as one character and then flip into the other and the other and the other. So, um, and I, I'm delighted to, to, um, you know, take it on. I or, love that. Oh, learn my lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have, do you feel like you, have specific ways in which you like, it's, it's like, okay, I got to step out of that character and step in here and step out in. Um, I have a little bit of experience with that, with some of some, some pieces that I do. Um, it's all about focus uh, for me personally. And you know what? Everybody personally has a different process. Um, for me, it's going to be just knowing the, the the material inside and out and being able to, you know, leave the previous one behind and just jump into the next one. Uh -huh. So I, I also want to ask about self-care for all of you. And I know self-care can be a buzzword, um, but I think it's real. <laughs> and that like, this is a it's a hard work. I think about how earlier this year, um, Luis Afaro's um, Mojada, which is a, Mede a retelling of Medea set in Los Angeles, was at um, the Yale Repertory Theater. And I'm not giving anything away because if you've read Medea, you know this at the end, she kills her son and it's an act of mercy. And it's totally horrific. And afterwards, in a talk back, the actress was talking about how when she left rehearsal and when she left the stage, she had to like separate herself from her character in a really deliberate way. And so I've been thinking about that, like actors hold so you're holding so much. And I also think that's true of you, Mark, you know, from an artistic perspective. And so how do you also make sure that you're taking care of yourselves outside of the theater? Well, I think if I, if I think as a director, um, you, you get taken out of that very quickly because I'm also the producer. So I'm, I'm busy, like just doing a lot of the production work. And I think in some ways that's a distraction that um, is healthy because I, I get to come out of it and I'm, and I'm not in, into it in the way that I would be if I were performing in, in, in the piece, it's, it's a different process, but there is something to be said, I think for, this kind of material that is so monumental and so 
um, difficult, it's sometimes it's hard to wear it all the time. And I think you have to find, I think you have to always be grounded in your own life and say, okay, this is what I, this is my job. And when I'm here, this is just my, my process. When I'm there, when I'm there, I, I put forth all of that. And then I close the door and with different characters that I played on stage that um, did really horrific things or, or had a very horrific time of it. You have to find that balance and kind of, and some don't do that very effectively, and I think it 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 costs them a lot. That's that's what I think. What about you, Logan? You know, I feel like for me, I am very good at like releasing it the minute that I am done working on it for the day. Um, sometimes I'll be like, "Oh, I'm going to have a seltzer or something afterwards," just to be like oh, a relaxation. Um, but you know, every so often you have those moments that the peace will overwhelm you and it's just self-reflecting of like how to still maintain that emotional availability but not get to that level right i think also that yes it's self-care with this and just i i know I, i'm a mom and i know just looking around in rehearsal i already the mama bear is already coming out with me with you know <laughs> uh, with people in the show you know with, with logan and um, but I, I, and, but I know we're only a week in, but I also know that the cast will be there to care for each other. And that is something that, yeah, I'm confident in also, which is important. Yeah. Rick, John, you are also, you're doing this alongside your work as the ED, right? And alongside my work, I'm also head of communications. Yes. Um, a major Do you ever leave bank. work at at work or or do you just i hope you get to leave work at work like do you get weekends do you get evenings i i want I do that get weekends i mean sometimes it's a little schizophrenic so like on wednesday evening i literally got off of the train in madison at like 705 and was on stage by 715 and that's not so good because you're not really as focused as you should be but i tried to as far as self-care like take some vacation days you know, make sure like I'm winding down at, you know, 4 35 o'clock. I think for most most professionals, it's a it's a question of acquiring the discipline and the ability to compartmentalize. And just I think what's so important is that you also have another life, that you have a life that is outside of the job. And I think for, for, for those people who don't have that, it can be much more difficult. When, when Patty was referring to, you know, the mama bear, I, I kind of play that role a bit myself, especially with this work, which is not only really long and exhausting, but very graphic in nature. We're dealing with several younger actors who, with, with different levels of experience <clears throat> with very graphic material. I mean, we're dealing with language and, different levels of undress and and then there's the that that hard difficulty emotionally and i think that you just have to have your antennas up and see who needs help and who doesn't so far everyone's been really self-caring i think very well i mean it's it's quite it's quite um clear that everyone 
they just know what they're doing and we can have a laugh and and Logan brings cookies and Patty brings cookies and then we just all get bigger and bigger and bigger and think about how we're going to be in our underwear and okay, let's not eat so many cookies, you know. <laughs> luckily I'm not in my underwear, so I can eat all the cookies. I, I and luckily I'm just say, bringing the cookies. <laughs> when you said seltzer, that was like the most wholesome form of self-care that I had heard for a long I was like, oh, Bless them, bless them, like bless you. Uh, so, so if if folks are just joining us, please go back and listen to the episode on WNHHLP one hundred three point five FM New Haven. It's on all the social media. Just look for WNHH. Those are the call letters for us. They don't exist for other people. Um, but you have missed a great conversation about um, Angels in America Part One: Millennium Approaches at Madison Lyric Stage. Performances begin Friday, June 9th at 7 p.m. And they run through uh, Sunday, June 18th. I was like, what is 6.18? Because time is hard. They run through Sunday, June 18th at 4 p.m. You can go to madisonlyricstage.org forward slash tickets. Um, or I think it's just at Madison Lyric Stage on Instagram. Is that correct, John? That's correct. Fantastic. And it'll take you right there. to. Take oh, beautiful. Okay. Fantastic. Um, I, I want to thank all of you for coming on Arts Respond today. I also, it is not lost on me that it's a beautiful sunny day and there are probably better things to do than sit inside and talk on the radio, but I am grateful to all of you for being here, for talking about this performance and for talking about why it's so important to bring Tony Kushner to the stage 30 years after it first hit Broadway. Thank you all so much. And I will see you soon, I'm sure. Thank <laughs> and you. Very Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Come, come see the show. I will. I will. And um, to Nora Grace Flood, who is going in for Harry Droz. Nora, thank you so much for all you do, for being the magic uh, woman behind the controls today. Harry is recovering from knee surgery, and we wish him a speedy recovery. Thank you so much. Bye, y'all. Bye.